Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting conversation uh, where we unpack the approach that different African countries are taking to the requirements and commitments imposed under the Paris Agreement. We do so in anticipation of COP28, where the world is holding its breath for a lot of very interesting decisions to come uh, come to the fore. In this session, I'm joined by Stephanie Bush, uh, who is a lawyer from and a senior associate at ENS's offices in Namibia. Stephanie specializes in energy mining and environmental project development, uh, as well as commercial, corporate and regulatory law. That's a mouthful. Uh, she has further been involved in numerous transactions within the hospitality industry relating to the sale and acquisition of prominent hotels and lodges situated throughout Namibia. Her experience includes advising on issues relating to project development in the solar, energy and biomass energy sector, conducting due diligence investigations for multinationals, preparing mineral, license, uh, mineral licenses and corporate status opinions in connection with listings on the Toronto Stock Exchange, um, alternative investment markets and the London Stock Exchange. She also drafts a sale of share agreements and shareholders agreements and is a general corporate and commercial lawyer. We are very excited to have you with us today, Stephanie. Um, I'm particularly excited given all the wonderful work that you're doing in the green hydrogen sector um, and leading the conversation in Namibia, which is obviously a very important jurisdiction uh, from a green hydrogen perspective for Africa. I'd like to start off this conversation to talk a little bit about Namibia specifically and, and the Paris Agreement. Can you talk us through um, some of Namibia's undertakings or commitments in respect of the Paris Agreement, uh, what the country has done, uh, well, at first perhaps what the country has promised to do and then what mm -hmm. the country has done since the Paris Agreement was um, entered into force in 2015? Uh, thank you, Anson. Thank you so much also for having me on this platform. I'm super excited to be talking to you today. Um, so Namibia has, what others have said, given a very bold commitment. So the um, 2021 NDC actually included a 91% reduction against um, business as usual by 2030. Um, it is <laughs> quite a lot. And then together with that, they also included a lot of plans to develop their renewable energy sector. So from there onwards, you know, what has been actually done, um, if we compare ourselves, for example, to South Africa, we don't have a climate change bill or litigation um, legislation yet, unfortunately. We are relying still on a climate change policy that was created in 2010. But there are, I would say, three ex you know, exciting developments and um, developments that are like deal specifically with the NDCs. So firstly, they are developing a carbon tax mechanism. So that is being developed, um, as I understand, with or the UNDP together with the Ministry of Environment. And end of last year, they hosted a, a, a workshop where they were discussing how to implement carbon taxes within Namibia specifically so that we can actually um, get to the indices that were pledged. Then secondly, and I think very excitingly, at least for me, is um, the renewable energy sector that has really um, been, you know, a lot of policies have been introduced um, to just further that. So for example, we have switched um, from a single buyer model to a modified single buyer model. So unbundling our power utility to really allow the independent power producers to come into the market um, and, um, you know, actually pr provide renewable electricity to your large um, consumers. So that has brought um, renewable energy players into the country and also 
it's um, with South Africa's load shedding problems, it has that has obviously created the opportunity for Namibia to also be exporting electricity, not just to South Africa, but to the Southern African power pool. So that is just from the renewable energy sector. But obviously with the the um, the great opportunities that have come with the green hydrogen space, and Namibia has been um, identified as one of the best places in the world to produce um, affordable green hydrogen. We've seen our government really focus on that. And we've also, end of last year, a Namibia green hydrogen strategy was published. And that just sets out the steps that Namibia wants to be taking in the next years to then what they, their target is to reach between five to seven million tons of green hydrogen by 2040. So that is um, from that strategy, at least. And really that strategy then sets out how they aim to do that. And then beyond that, what, what I'm just hearing from discussions with policymakers and companies um, just leading up to COP28, there's really been a shift from last year when we were just talking about green hydrogen towards green industrialization. So really that focus on and that recognition that energy intensive industries will move to where the energy is the cheapest and like really creating that space for Namibia to finally have an industrial revolution, but that to actually be powered by green electrons. And yes, so those are kind of the steps and the the vision that we're seeing for the country um, just meeting those NDCs. Thanks, Stephanie. I think this is, it's fascinating how a country as small as Namibia is making such a massive change in the way that it thinks about the environment and it thinks about climate change and specifically uh, green industrialization and everything that that entails. Just the fact that you talk about green electrons already had me very excited. At the end of the day, however, and, and you and I know this from the work that we do, the ability of governments to give effect to the, the undertakings provided under the Paris Agreement, so Namibia's NDCs, for example, is quite limited. Governments can, of course, publish policies and um, publish policies, and governments can promulgate laws and create regulatory regimes, all in which which aim to establish enabling environments. But ultimately, to achieve these objectives. I suppose countries, emerging markets and developing economies across the continent are very de dependent on the private sector. What role do you see the private sector playing in Namibia in actively, for example, decarbonizing the economy to help you achieve this incredible commitment that the Namibian government made under the Paris Agreement in respect of its own NDCs? So look, it is definitely the private sector that would be driving, especially those decarbonization, but just generally mitigation measures. So you would look firstly into, as I was already discussing, the, the renewable energy sector, whereas um, even before the NDCs, we had a refit, pro a refit program with, you know, a renewable energy feed and tariffs. But since then, it has just it evolved to such an extent that there are so many IPPs just entering the market. And then beyond that, you have the green hydrogen players entering the market and they're all coming for different, let's say, reasons or purposes. So you would have your hyphen that is looking to export ammonia, but also looking others looking into um, hydrogen to power like HDF or high iron looking to um, produce green steel, which was that plant was actually just, you know, they had their um, not opening, but they had their first introduction to um, you know the, the market just a few weeks ago. So it's really interesting to, sit, to see what different private sectors, how they're latching on 
to what is an amazing renewable energy resource. But beyond that, I think what's also important to consider is that Namibia is home to some very critical rare earth minerals. So from there, we're also seeing a lot of potential uh, mining companies looking to come in and see if they can um, mine those resources. And then hopefully that's then actually where your, your government then also would come in to say, okay, we see this, we see that um, African play, African play a very big role in um, allowing for minerals to be found that are needed to create components for renewable energy um, equipment. But let's change the model. Let's not go from mining pits to port and export, but actually create beneficiation and localization by doing mining pit processing and um, port. So that's then there where the government would then maybe come or should come in with um, their specific regulations or incentives, you know, to allow for that extra localization and industrialization to occur in the country. And obviously then the, the issue would come in from more of a global perspective is, for example, the EU's, um, the, the CBAM regime, the carbon border adjustment um, mechanism, which actually in a certain way could prevent African countries from processing the minerals because it um, includes carbon taxes for um, certain products that were um, produced using fossil fuels. So unless we decarbonize um, rapidly, the CBAM could then stand in the way. I don't think it's that big of a problem in Namibia because um, I'm not going to say we're very decarbonized already, but we are more likely to be on the right track and the right road to decarbonize as soon as possible. Other African countries might not be able to reach those lim um, that those targets as quickly unless you know climate financing is coming in from the developing uh, from the developed world as well yeah I, I, I and from a south african perspective i think the carbon border adjustment mechanism is is something that really is concerning to us uh, it's no secret that most of our electricity is generated by um the burning of coal um yes. with the escom's fleet of coal-fired power stations so a lot of the products that we'll be manufacturing in the country will be subject to the cbam regime which i think is quite quite difficult for us and of course then if we think about uh, electric vehicles as well and the, the restrictions that the north is imposing there where many countries in europe will no longer import new um uh, internal combustion engine vehicles that i i think there is a definite drive globally um, to move away from anything related to fossil fuels, but that has extraterritorial application right home and right down south home in Namibia and in South Africa. So um, it, from a global perspective, of course, climate change knows no border, but it seems that a lot of the laws globally likewise don't have any, any borders as well. One final question for me, and then I'll let you go for the day. And thank you again for being with us, Stephanie. What do you think as a global community then? Thinking about the role that the international regulators have played and how we've explained that together, if we think about the ecosystem of global role players, being governments, private sector participants, development finance institutions, private sector banks, etc., what is the role of the private uh, of the global role player in helping Namibia achieve its undertakings and commitments under the Paris Agreement? Look, I think it even goes beyond um, Namibia, but if one just looks from the African perspective, you know, the, the NDCs are there, but it there will be an implementation gap 
if they were there isn't provided the climate financing that in terms of the Paris Agreement, the developed countries actually agree to. So I think it's at this moment with at the at COP where we are seeing that there'll be an opportunity for the global stock tech to actually sit down also as industry players that will be at COP to sit down and look at what has been going wrong over the last years. Why aren't we where we're supposed to be yet? What is missing, especially in the African continent? And imagine how best to move forward. At the, because at the end of the day, all of these transitions we're supposed to be undertaking in the, in the continent, you know, the just transition, but also towards green industrialization, decarbonization, raw materials that have to be mined, all of that requires uh, financing and also requires um, companies to actually choose to come to a Namibia, to a Namibia or South Africa. And that's where you require incentivization, subsidization, concessional funding, and a government can't fund that. And a private sector can also not, a private sector player can also not fund the green premium themselves. So that, fi that funding and financing is then required. And I mean, that has, it is something that was initially envisioned in the Paris Agreement. And I think there's obviously the developed world has um, fallen quite short on their commitments um, from a yearly perspective, always um, giving less money than they were supposed to. And from that's just the mitigation point of view, but from adaptation. So last year at COP, they, they agreed to the, the losses and um, damages fund. And as far as I understand, the recommendations that have now come out that will be proposed to COP, at COP28 is that the, the, the funds that will go into that fund, um, there's no requirement on the developed or the developing world to actually put in financing. And it is, it's on a voluntary basis. And at the end of the day, there needs to be certainty and hard commitments made mm -hmm. in order for also countries themselves, but industry players coming into those countries to know what the future will look like. Mm -hmm. So I think it's from that perspective that, um, that industry players can really try to just push that narrative and also push the narrative that Africa is a key player. The decarbonization of the globe won't occur if Africa isn't part of the picture because the renewable energy is here and the raw materials, um, the rare earth materials are also here. So it's just pushing that forward and actually just asking to be heard, I guess. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. There's the old African um, proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want mm. to go far, go together. Um, exactly. And I, I think the world has little choice in this between the two options that they that that we have to choose. We can't we can't go fast right now. Um, we have to go together to go far, and that means that every single player in the global climate change battle ecosystem has to play its role. Governments need to create enabling environments. The, uh, to support the establishment of specific sectors such as uh, the green hydrogen sector, which has to be the fuel of the future. At the same time, we have to, um, governments must also create incentive schemes to help sectors get established and get off the ground. I think the finance sector, as you rightfully say, has a very important 
role a role to play her. I always laugh and think back of the the saying from the the Disney film Aladdin, uh, where I think it was the parrot that says, "It's all about the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rule." Um, <laughs> so the the financial services sector also have a very important role to play here. And then of course the project companies. At the end of the day. There will be no wind farms. There will be no green hydrogen production plants. There will be no solar farms if we don't get the project companies to come to the table as well. And if we do so with the support and cooperation of communities, then the projects can but and do nothing but succeed. I think. No, hundred percent. I completely agree.